Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, I've had a pretty nasty eye infection the last few days that's had me out, and I'm still recovering from a heck of a lot of traveling last week. But my family's in town right now, and the eye's starting to feel a bit better, so everything everything's looking up. I feel really guilty, and and that I and that I was on the verge of re-emphasizing my my mean to you narrative. Uh, in that I I kind of chuckled when you said you had an eye infection because you're like a walking infirmary these these past few weeks. Yeah, uh, well, it's it, it's possibly related. Actually, I was going to ask. Yeah, when I mean, if you have surgery on your nose, then your eye gets infected. That, right, that seems it, problematic. And so they're hoping it's not, but they're not really sure. And so I've been having some hardcore. Well, now I feel guilty. Oh man. I, I, well, I hope you feel better. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry for making you feel guilty. No, no, I, I, I brought it on myself. <laughs> I live, I live, I live feeling guilty. That's, that's my life. <laughs> I, I hope I'm not contributing to that too much. No, it's okay. I actually felt guilty this week, and so I, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote this this piece this week, and in mm. some respects, like I feel it was. It was obvious, and it's it's stuff that people have talked about. This idea of a world moving to services and and renting things, and we've certainly talked about it plenty on on mm. on, on this podcast. But I I I guess what I was trying to drive at, and I, I'm not sure, I don't know if I was successful. Was was trying to get at like. Lots of change comes along and like some change is like, oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting change. You know, like, you know, being able to take an Uber is an interesting change and isn't that, isn't that neat? Mm. And, and it feels like, but other change is like, like epoch type change or like, right. like paradigm shifting type change. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, what I was trying to get at is, is if you, th- it, if you start with the idea that the internet has, you know, fundamentally changed things, which I, which I, which I do believe and mm. the things we've kind of touched on, like, well, where's the effect in the real economy and all that sort of stuff. Like, and I think I referenced this a, a while ago, but if the, if change is truly profound and almost by definition is less likely to show up in, in like the current statistics and the way we measure things, mm. and the way we think about things, mm-hmm. because all those things are, are built with core assumptions that are, that are, in the world as it is today mm-hmm. and truly profound change where you're changing your core assumptions, things that are the very foundation of the way things work by definition are going to be a kind of a, a immeasurable until they're overwhelming. If that makes sense. It totally makes sense. It's, it's funny. It's related a little bit to what we talked about last week in that, um, in how the regulators seem to be moving on the... They almost seem to be fighting the last war. And we talked about how the US went after Microsoft just at the point when Google was taking over. And now the EU looks to be going after Google just as Facebook takes over. And it's it's this... There's this evolution of things that are happening. And uh, I, 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 I this is a theme that has come a lot up as we've discussed... Um, and yeah, on, on some level, it's um, on some level you can point to Uber and you can point to all these things. But t- stepping back and taking stock of all these things on mass and what it means as we transition from a manufacturing and a things based economy to like a digital and services economy, I I, you, I feel like you should give yourself a bit more credit. I think you did a good job. 
Yeah, I, 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 the article I went back to, and I, I referenced it in, in the daily update the next day, um, but I, I was going to put it in this one, but it just didn't, didn't fit, was I wrote it right when the blog first started, and it's called Friction. Mm. And the idea is that so much of the world today is based on friction. It's, 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 and if you can, and you get paid by overcoming friction. And so there are three examples in this article. Uh, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes and, and, and there's probably lots of listeners that weren't, weren't reading me back then when, because <laughs> there definitely weren't many, but the first one was like the app store. And I think we've talked about this, but the idea that before the app store, when you had to like get your software into a box and onto a shelf at like CompUSA and you had to negotiate, mm. like, is it going to be at your foot mm-hmm. level? Is it going to be at your, your knee level? Like it was it was such a challenge to actually get your stuff out there. But once your stuff was out there and once you had these pre-existing relationships and, and you see, and you see like then your success was almost guaranteed in some respects and, and you could charge $70 for a piece of software or, or hundred dollars or $50 or whatever. And it's not just software. You see this in, in, in like, see, you know, we've talked about P and G in the past. It's a classic example. Like so much of their strength is built, not just on their branding, but also on, the, the relationships they have with with retailers and grocery stores and, and like all that sort of stuff to be on end caps and to be have their own section in, in in the aisle of the grocery store like because that's there's so much friction there that if you can develop a system to grease those skids you will you will make money the the other at that time there was the all and I say stuff was going down when when the the Edward Snowden revelations mm. and I I David Simon of the Wire was saying oh this is not that big a deal we've been tapping like phones and stuff forever and and I use that as a second example saying like yes but the difference in scale that is enabled by mm. the end of friction makes this a completely different thing it's one thing to have to physically put on a pen register onto a phone line in a facility with a warrant. It's completely different to, to vacuum up everything. Yeah. You can literally vacuum up every single bit of communication that goes through, that goes through a a, a facility. Like, is it the same thing? Well, yes, if you look at it narrowly, but the scale makes it basically utterly and completely different. And that scale is enabled by kind of a lack of friction. One of, I mean, and I think this, uh, I'm trying to remember when we talked about this and it might've been at the same time. It's this, this notion of the power of default. And as you move from uh, more of an analog manufacturing to a digital world, the default has gone from you're not being tapped. You're not having everything recorded to the default being you are. And that's, that's a massive transition. Well, it is, but I mean, you're almost like a little. You just kind of jumped up the tree a little bit, right? A relatively low hanging branch, but still, but still up the tree. And and what I'm getting at is like the trunk of the tree that makes that even possible is the fact that it is the fact that it is possible. If mm. that makes sense, Got like it. it it wasn't viable. 20 years ago or 25 years ago to vacuum up all the data in the world. Like that, mm. that's a necessary, the, the, and that's because of, of internet and digital and software. Like that is a necessary precondition for everything that happened that, that Edward Stone disclosed for what the NSA is doing. Mm. And, and so, um, the other example I had in this article, and this was before we, we started recording Exponent by a couple of years, or yeah, by, by, by a little bit, but was just me living in Taiwan. And, you know, I can run a business here that the most, the majority of my customer base is, is, is in the US and the vast majority is, is in the de- developed world broadly. I mean, Taiwan's developed, but the Western world, I guess I should mm. say. 
And and that's awesome for me. It really sucks for all the people in the areas I grew up with where all the all the jobs left and they went to China. And again, that and that is well, they were to Taiwan first and then they moved to China. Um, again, there's still more friction there, but in general, but it's the same general idea where, where the the smoothing out of borders and and shipping and, and container ships and like all – like that was almost like a precursor of – you could almost say like that's a precursor of what was to happen once everything got truly, truly frictionless, if that makes sense. And and you can see the – you can see the the – devastation that it it wrought and the knock-on effects that we're still experiencing today and and if that was only a precursor like what is going to happen once this starts affecting more and more places and like stuff in the point is stuff is going to change and i'm not sure that anyone including us including people who have talked about the rental economy or the service economy have really dug down to the very roots of the tree and thought about like, oh, right, we're not talking about different branches on a tree. We're talking about a different organism springing from this entirely. Mm. I, th- so th- th- on one hand, you want to be careful. Uh, and, and a point that you make that I think was a, a really good point was uh, as this change becomes – uh, ever more pervasive throughout society, you need to be careful to look at the future through the lens of the past. And uh, I, I precursor that by, uh, well, that's a precursor to me saying there was an analogy that you drew that I thought illustrated this friction point really well, which is, uh, uh, and and this opera- operationaliz- operationalization of expenses versus capitalization. Like you want to go to Taiwan, you don't buy a plane. You catch a ride on an airplane, but uh, with an airline. But the the extent to which these have to be big capital expenditures, and uh, as friction is reduced, the it, it doesn't. It's not just going to be happening on airplanes. It's going to be happening in cars, and cars are obviously maybe two orders of magnitude less than a plane. But that's the kind of change that this reduction in friction is going to wrought. For sure, but I mean, but cars is is also a rel. You know that that's 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 an easy one. But mm. why in the future, if we have, uh, particularly if we have driverless cars, let's say I need to, I need a weed trimmer, right? I mean, like, why would I buy a weed trimmer when I can just take out my smartphone and and have you know a driverless delivery truck roll up with my weed trimmer? Or, you know, or hopefully I can get a robot to do it for me. But I mean, like... It's interesting because a lot of the businesses that are springing up around Silicon Valley really are trying to push the boundaries to test the economics of whether these things are actually feasible, whether enough friction has been taken out to start doing these things. And obviously, Uber and Airbnb are ones where there's relatively high levels of capital uh, still in, still involved, whether it's property or whether it's cars. And But as you project out... Out. And and you see uh, VCs pushing money into these things that's trying to push the boundary lower and lower and lower. And I don't think we're at the point yet where we can get the weed trimmers. Um, but I think that's the direction in, in which we're headed. Yeah, and I think that there, there's like talk like why why are there so many Uber for X fail? And and I think you just you 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 just said it. It's the capital the the 
it works for high capital objects right now, right? Cars are expensive objects and and the the economics start to make sense sooner because you have such a huge fixed cost involved. Mm. And same thing with Airbnb, like real estate is expensive and and so it starts to make sense. You get to stuff like groceries or all those sorts of things that are more um one they're just cheaper in general and two there's a uh they're they're, they're they expire like what's what's the word they're they're not they're not like food isn't a capital object um <laughs> unless it's like it's like those mcdonald's that like they show that like stay preserved for like for yes. like tens of years um <laughs> but i think that's why like for sure it, it that's kind of the path the path it's taking but the implication of that is and this was what I was trying to get at by and maybe this this is a little muddled because I included kind of some bits of iPhone analysis in there but like the iPhone I don't think there there will ever be a a product like the iPhone and particularly from a business perspective just because like I don't think we'll ever buy such relatively expensive objects in such volume again I mean even if Apple comes up with a car that is much higher revenue it's not going to be at a volume to 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 equal the iPhone or or, or Tesla or, or or anyone else. Or if there's something smaller, like if we get to a future, which I've you know we've watches. talked about for ages, yeah. well, watches or earpieces, like which I think you know the earpiece makes a lot of sense, or if it's augmented reality or whatever it might be, like those are going to be rel- quite inexpensive. They're going to be modular objects basically like they're they're they're, you're not interacting with them they don't need all the care that goes into to the ui because the ui is the cloud like you're they're just channels to to the cloud and they're going to be relatively inexpensive even if they're they're everywhere they're not going to be a 700 hundred dollar object and it's like like the iphone is peak product if that makes sense like there's yes there will be other products there will be watches there will be cars there'll be lots of stuff but i don't think there will ever be a product that makes $600 billion or whatever the iPhone made or mm-hmm. in revenue and you know, just, just crazy numbers. Yeah. This, so, um, you don't think there's a product you, so I think a more interesting question is, do you think there'll be a category? Um, because the, the, the extent to which one company has managed to capture so much of the profits of a category like this is, is, uh, is pretty impressive. I, I'm I directionally I totally agree. I think I, and this is the this is the bear case for Apple that we've already talked about as things transition up into the cloud like it requires uh, less impressive hardware to be sitting on your person. I wonder whether I still wonder whether there may be a, a, an evolution or an, an the next category like one or two whether it's whether it's augmented or virtual reality like I could see those screens or the hardware being put into that be quite expensive or even the watch if the cloud isn't quite there yet like I, I, it's probably not going to be I mean it's already not as much as the phone but I could still like relatively impressive hardware do you think there's a possibility that there's maybe one or two more categories uh, there before we get to the point that you're describing or you think this is it I think this is it just because the I mean this this the smartphone is so compelling as a device it's so mm-hmm. versatile uh, the one possibility I would see I mean for a watch a watch for a watch to reach its potential it has to be 
largely cloud-based. Mm-hmm. Like, because I mean, the, the the bigger picture, what we're seeing bigger picture as far as a thematic sort of shift is there's a long-standing debate or or back and forth technology about thin versus thick, thin clients versus thick clients. Mm-hmm. And so when this debate sprang up, like back in the '80s or whatever, it, it was more about a basically terminals with a central computer and it, this is like this debate was kind of like in in one building right like there's a big huge central computer and there's different terminals that you work at but everyone's actually working on the central computer and that was kind of the, the thin client model whereas the thick client model was this idea that that computing power be pushed out to the edges and so you had more powerful PCs and yes there may be a central layer that 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 is sharing data uh, and files and things like that and that ended up that ended up being dominant, and I think the reason it became dominant was was because the like the the cost savings of kind of the central model just were were too slight to overcome the massive usability advantages of 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 the of the thick model. I mean, especially with Moore's law and Intel really really pushing forward, the like PCs were just getting cheaper and better every year, and they were better experiences. They're they're better to use and the other thing is we didn't have the connectivity to Mm. really push it outside of like a single building right right and so and so we had this this thick this the thick model one by and large and there were thin yeah microsoft versus sun microsoft crushed it right exactly and microsoft well intel i mean because intel was intel was the intel was the key component of this because they were increasing the performance on the edge so quickly even as they brought down prices so quickly that you, there was no real advantage to the thin model, particularly on a price perspective, which would have been the most natural sort of advantage, right? You think about it, oh, all you have is just a screen and a keyboard. It's much, much cheaper. You can distribute these widely, centralize everything. That didn't make any sense because you're going to have a compromised experience. You have poor poor connectivity, mm-hmm. lots of latency, all those sorts of things. So that's arguably kind of started to peter out because we moved to web apps. Like web apps was a big thing in the 2000s. And if you think about it, a web app is really a much more of a, th- a thin client model where the computation is happening in the cloud. You, the browser is just is a terminal effectively. Yes, it's running on a thick client, but all the resources of the thick client aren't really necessary. I mean, they're necessary to the extent that, that web pages get bloated and Things, things like that, but from a sort of theoretical perspective, they're not, they're not really necessary, and and that's really, you know, that's when PC sales really started to, you know, the upgrade cycle started to to elongate, to use the mm-hmm. term. Uh, people <laughs> kept their computers longer because. Th- what they did wasn't limited by their device; it was limited by their connection, or it was limited by the capabilities of of web services. Mobile kind of reset that. Because now you're in a situation where, again, you you have the latency problems, you have the you have the the communications problems, and you have the the actual the experience of using it. The user interface became even more important because it was that much more of an intimate device. You were literally touching it, right? When you scroll, like I still hate using Android. Biggest reason I switch to Android is because the it doesn't scroll and like it's not responsive. And I'm using super modern hardware, and I there's a lot I like about Android, but like. Those that little stuff still drives me up the wall, and and that matters when you're touching it, when you're experiencing it, when you when, when you're when you're using it, and and that requires more of a thick client, more powerful hardware that is that is on, on the edge, but on the but but the the connectivity stuff's coming along right now. You can connect everywhere, and if you think about it, we mobile is has two parts. Mobile is nothing without the cloud. Like you're not. 
almost look at all the apps you use on your phone. The vast majority yeah. of them are front ends for a cloud interface. And it's kind of a hybrid model where, yes, apps are better, but why are apps better? They're better because of for responsiveness and UX reasons. But the actual what an app is good for is nothing without a cloud. Right, Facebook's famous shift to mobile and making their mobile app native didn't make it any less of a cloud app. It just meant the UX controls were native. Yeah, I, I mean, it's if you think about where we've come from with the first generation iPhone and the fact it was 2G and you didn't want people to have to sit and wait for uh, videos or music to come down, like storing it locally, processing, having stuff on the device, like it was critical. But as these things, and, and so much of the performance was just not good enough in those early days, but as as the connectivity has gotten better and better, it's become less and less you can, less and less important. Like you can store more of that stuff up in the cloud and the performance starts to get to the point where it, yeah, you're right. Like what you're with, with a few exceptions, like perhaps games, like high end games, like you don't actually need all this vast processing power on the local device. Like most of the interesting stuff happens on, on the cloud. And like you switch your phone to airplane mode and it starts getting pretty boring pretty quickly. Yeah. And then they're popping up warnings and all this sort of stuff. Right. It, it's really a crappy experience. It, it, right. And so at the, at the same time though, like smartphones will, like they, they are what they are. Like we're not going to start getting like underpowered smartphones, you know, like the, the, they're, they're maximized. Like, like they're, they're reaching per their, their perfect state in some respects. Mm. But you think about like the watch, I think this is how we I ended up going on this rant. Like a watch is never going one. It just doesn't have the, the space for interaction. And it's, and because of constraints of battery life and size, it's never going to be a device, at least if it's, I think, properly realized, it's never going to be a device that you interact with regularly with, with touch and that sort of thing. Like the key, like the watch fulfilling its potential is first and foremost about, you know, the connectivity angle, like it being mm. this, this conduit and maybe it'll be a watch. I, again, I, I've always been kind of enthusiastic about the, about the, some sort of earpiece idea. It could be augmented reality. What, but all these, the compu- they're much more thin clients than, than anything we've really ever had before. Like this shift, like the thin client idea is in the end winning, but it just went through this massive intervening period where performance wasn't good enough. Connectivity wasn't good enough. So the thick client model won, but in the long run, the thin client, it, it is the better model. It does make like... It's sometimes useful to step back and mm. think about the world as it ought to be. Mm-hmm. And the, it's tricky because the the reason why it's dangerous to do that is because the reality is like uh, there's path dependence, right? The way the world will end up being is is highly dependent on the way the world is today. <laughs> and like that determines how things play out. But at the mm. same time, it's it's a useful mental, mental exercise to try to put away the world as you know it, to put away your assumptions and to think about the way things ought to be. And we're getting to the point now, like, so smartphones are a great example. Like the smartphones are, they are locked in the app model. Like, but, I would argue we're getting to the point, performance getting to the point where there are lots and lots of applications, particularly anything that's consumption oriented or, or content oriented, that is probably increasingly better served as a as a web app model. And 
yes, we spent years dissing on web apps, but that's because the the performance sucked and the con- connectivity sucked. But once that is fixed, like the the benefits of that make sense. Now, but that doesn't mean we're going to move to web apps because like we're down this path, we're down the app path and it is what it is. But when the next platform comes along, when the next mm. thing comes along, like in the pre-existing assumptions and the pre-existing paths are wiped away, just like when mobile came along and everything about the PC had to be set aside because it was a new platform. And this is something that, this is why Microsoft was doomed in mobile, even if they had, just because they were so established in the current category, it would have been all but impossible for them to, to develop the proper mindset to do something completely different. Mm. Like then things, I think things will be different and you can't. Yeah. yeah. Like it's interesting because like what you just said about Microsoft going to mobile, I, I would say you could make the same argument about Apple going to the phone. I think exa- everything you've said is exactly right. If you step back and you start to think about what makes sense for, for, for the next paradigm, like jamming apps, jamming a touch interface into these tiny little screens or into something that, that doesn't lend itself to it, I don't think is necessarily such a great idea, but that's the paradigm that Apple's been so successful in and has captured their mind. There's one other thing I wanted to say about what you just said, and that is the, I think the stepping back, uh, the stepping back and asking the way things ought to be is a great exercise. And the path dependence point is really good. The other thing you really need to keep in mind is that this can cause you to make decisions too early. And sometimes being too early is indistinguishable from being wrong. Well, not one. It's interesting for being wrong. You'll probably fail. Two, right. you can often kind of spoil the waters. Yeah, and and people and it's hard to make a good impression twice, right? And mm. you don't you don't appreciate. Yeah, like like an idea is set aside almost longer than it should be because it was tried too early. And there's a killer yes. example that's on the yes. tip of my tongue, and I'm going to think of it as soon as we hang up. But but I def but yeah no it, it but well then whatever Newton, right like the Newton was one of them. I I feel like Sun did it with thin clients. Like thin became a dirty word to a lot of people for a long time, and it's taken a very different approach from someone like Google to like start to get people to like, oh, storing everything, giving, like not having to worry about my hard drive failing actually sounds like a pretty damn good idea. Yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, for, especially for writers. Uh, yeah. Writing with a web app is is a revelation. Uh, like drafting.com, Can, cannot endorse it more. But, oh, just as a side note, I, mm. I mentioned Intel. One thing, that's, one thing that's really interesting about Intel is Basically, Intel is staking its future on a thin client future. Like, the, so they're they're making I'm all their money on server chips, basically, and then they're uh. getting the volume they need because they have to have volume with the foundry business, with like an Internet of Things business, where they're never going to make that much money on an absolute basis because this stuff has to be cheap. But they'll get the volume that they need, and, mm. and so on and so forth. But it, it's just interesting that the company that was basically yeah. the most responsible for thick winning is. Is now, now basically staking. Well, no, that's the coming. They're staking their future on on thin, in part because they missed out on the thick extension, which were smartphones, and so they're they're now looking to leapfrog past that to the next thing. And the reason why Intel has stayed profitable and the reason they've made so much money, even in the mobile era, is because of servers. Like th- that's where they 
like that's been the real growth for them for many years now. And it, it's just interesting. It's interesting how the world works. You can see the same thing with Microsoft, arguably, like moving from like their future is the cloud. It's this it's a thin model when they built their fortunes uh, on the thick model because they missed out on the thick extension. Like they had to leapfrog ahead and are arguably in in better shape for it. Oh, it is really interesting. I mean, as I, I like cut my teeth, as I'm guessing you did uh, in the tech world around the time when Microsoft and Intel just went to absolutely dominant. And I remember these thick, thin wars. And it is, uh, yeah, you're right. Succumbing is probably the wrong word, but like the extent to which the tables have turned is just fascinating. It is. I, I, I'm kind of just riffing on this. I, I, I was talking um, uh Oh, I was talking to Parker Thompson on, on on Twitter about this, the the former startup L Jackson. Uh, but but this mm-hmm. idea that if you're a startup, you really you really get two swings, right? Like, you, mm-hmm. you, but if you're a big company and you have lots of cash reserves, you almost do get two swings, and you're almost going to miss the first one because of this paradigm idea. So you think about you think about Microsoft, where they were locked in the PC, and I like I genuinely believe people talk about oh they're held back by by the antitrust stuff, they're held back by this, by that, Balmer, blah 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 blah. I I genuinely believe Microsoft had zero chance in mobile, despite seeming like they had all the advantages. And the reason they had zero chance was because mobile required a rethink of the way everything works, and they were so locked into the world as it was, like they were just organizationally incapable of doing that. And it's not just that mobile was disruptive because the business model certainly turned out to be disruptive from a business sense. But the the part about disruption that has always, I think, is the most powerful part of it is that your thinking your thinking becomes constrained. And it becomes constrained not just for economic reasons, but for cultural reasons. Like the we've talked about the accumulation of decisions and that you can you 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 become only capable of seeing the world a certain way. And we glorify that because another way to describe that is focus. Mm. But the flip side of focus is you lose sight of what's a, what's myopia. Yes, exactly. Like everything, it's like nothing, nothing is ever absolutely good or absolutely bad when it comes to these sort of issues. Isn't it? Is yeah, it just depends on the circumstance, right? When right? you start a company, when you're looking for product market fit, you you need to be your your view needs to be expansive. You need to try all kinds of things. Once you get product market fit, you need to you need to zoom down and be utterly focused on knocking it out and and building up and scaling and getting to it. And then theoretically, like once you're set, you need to reopen your eyes. But that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in, because the way a CEO manages an organization of tens of thousands of people mm. is by instilling a a mindset where people do decisions that are right for the company without understanding why they're doing them because that's just the way that they're done. This is one of the the theories, or it's a, it's a version of one of the theories that Clay drilled into us in his class at school, which is good money and bad money. And he's like, "There's never ever, there's never ever right and wrong. It's just circumstan- It's circumstantial. It depends on your circumstances." And he described it probably in manufacturing, uh, man- manufacturing uh, era language, in that when you're starting out, you want to be patient for growth, but impatient for profit. Which which is in in new era language, you want to find product market fit before you start trying to scale the business. But once you find that product market fit, it flips and you want to be 
impatient for growth and patient for profit. It's this it's this notion that you don't go you you've got to get the order right and that there's not one that's absolutely right or wrong. It depends on your circumstances. And once you've once you've got the cylinders all firing, once you have this engine for growth, you need to step back and start to think about what's going to be the next engine for growth. Uh, because of inevitably, as is always the case, these things these things fail and you don't want to be looking for the next thing once you need it. You want to be finding it before you need it. I, I like that and I, and I like how it's put it. It really shows that there's nothing new under the sun. Like mm. the idea of product market fit is not a new idea. It's just new terminology around what is, what, what, what is an old idea. And- right. Well, the media businesses, the nature of like internet businesses where – um, you need such massive scale before you can uh, before you can really monetize or become profitable. Like you think about an advertising business has has changed the way you need to think about things like profit and growth. But the underlying concepts, if you understand what what you're driving at with the underlying concepts, you're right. There's nothing new under the sun. So the to to kind of take this uh, to to kind of take this full circle. Mm. Uh, uh, I, I guess the if so if you go back to this idea of thinking about the world as as it as it ought to be, it doesn't make sense that we and we've talked about this. It doesn't make sense that you buy stuff and then and and and, and that it sits around, or mm. uh, it doesn't make sense that you buy a piece of software. As much as I may may advocate for developers being able to have trials and upgrade fees and build sustainable business in the app store, blah 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 blah, like the the nature of software is doesn't make sense that you buy it mm-hmm. right it, it's it, it i mean just from an economic perspective it, it's it's inherently worthless again it obviously it, it's not worthless but from a value perspective because there is no scarcity like there's a complete lack of scarcity and it makes sense that it's provided you know that, that you, you what you get from it is the experience of using it and the experience ought to be monetized as you go it, like you know, it applies to all these things me, media and, and music and the reason why media and advertising is such a natural fit is because they're both predicated on on experiencing the media and experiencing the advertising and it's a it, it's more of a a service oriented business model and like and I've talked about this like there's a tension in my model where I ask people to pay for pay for content like there is a tension there in that the idea of paying for something makes sense for something tangible where you're transferring ownership like to pay to to get to get to get access it, 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 it's kind of weird it's not it, it's okay but there is a there, there's just a tension there if that makes sense Oh, it absolutely makes sense. I think what you're so I think there's some there are some versions of this and in some circumstances where what you're driving at makes absolute sense. Well, actually, pay- can, I jump on, can I jump on one thing? Yeah, I, I, I suddenly just realized something. Uh, but I think the reason why also I'll tell you what I don't do and people ask me about this. What I don't do is I don't sell individual daily updates on a one off basis. And and this actually kind of clicked yeah. for me. And the reason why I've thought about why I don't do it is because one, like selling them for a dollar or two dollars or even five dollars, like doesn't do anything for me. Like, okay, great, I could buy an extra cup of coffee. That, that's awesome, perhaps. But where I've always thought that I would rather have someone not, I'd rather not get money from someone and then have them want to buy an article like multiple times, like three, four, five times, and then finally they're like, 
oh, I'll just sign up for a month and I'll go read these articles I want to read. But then I have the opportunity, like now I, I've been invited into their inbox like 20 times, right? And ideally I can build a, a habit and they get used to reading it and they and they look forward to reading it every day. But what occurs to me, and so that's been my thinking to date. What occurs to me now though is actually maybe my model makes more sense than I'm giving myself credit for because what I'm getting at there is I want to monetize monetize the ongoing experience of mm-hmm. reading Shatekri as opposed to trying to sell a tangible one-off good where you pay for it and you get it. And that just like it kind of intuitively that never made sense to me. But if you th- think about it from this, what I just talked about, it actually makes from an economic and, and sense, it makes sense as well. So uh, you just touched on your version of exactly what I was going to say. There's like elements of psychology here at work where it, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Like taking out human psychology, it makes sense that as people use it more, you charge them more. At the same time, like if I was, I, uh, <laughs> I had a good friend whose family was in the printing business and they always used to make sense of Xerox and their click charges. Like every time you'd used it, you get charged a little bit more. And that feeling of being nickel and dimed as you use something in and of itself, the pricing model can sometimes impact the the experience of using something. So yeah, absolutely, you want to charge people. You you I, it doesn't make sense for ownership, but at the same extreme, like charging people on a permanent basis can ruin the experience. And you have to try and find this middle ground that varies depending. Uh, like there are all these different factors that you have to look at it in different industries. Now B two B software, like okay, it's enterprises are happy to pay and we'll roll it out to all our users and we'll pay an annual fee and if we like it we'll keep using it and if we don't we won't but like then you get into things like music where uh you like clearly like paying on a per song basis i think that's starting to go away but one of the tensions is like the biggest users the biggest music consumers were spending hundreds of dollars you get a spotify premium account you're not spending that much and at the other end of the spectrum there are people who don't use it that much but want access to the catalog and trying to figure out a way of getting a one size fits all model that encompasses all of that can be quite challenging yeah, we're a little all over the place here, but I think this is this is interesting. I think I, there's a distinction to make here. One, like if there's zero marginal cost attached to it, then a flat access fee makes sense, right? Because mm-hmm. it it just intuitively makes some kind of economic sense. You're not, it's not costing you if someone uses it a lot or someone uses it a little. So for music, for sure, looking at it big picture, a, a flat fee makes sense. And if there's marginal cost, then it makes use more sense to perhaps charge on a per use basis, right? So uh, having a flat access subscription to Uber wouldn't make sense because the the you're not distributing the marginal costs optimally. It's it, interesting though cuz you're going cost up as opposed to value down. Well no but but I feel like I feel like there's there like people intuitively I, people intuitively get this, I think. Like mm. and they they get that something tangible you have to pay for and something intangible you don't. Mm-hmm. Well, there's two parts of it. One is the kind of the human psychology of, of what's willing to pay. But two is the world as it is, right? The, the reality is because music, the origin of selling music, for example, was selling cassettes or, or mm-hmm. eight tracks or vinyl records and, and then CDs, like the, the entire 
and this gets at kind of the big picture I was trying to drive at, the entire music business, the model, is it is in some respects totally irrational. Like the way that music works today doesn't really make sense for the way like the fact of the matter is you you can make a record in your bedroom. Like and it can be a good record, but you have to you need a, a, a label not necessarily for production but for distribution and market and distribution to things like radio stations and marketing and getting on the front page of iTunes and like all this stuff that is that is remnants of the old world mm-hmm. and but if you stop and you st- step back and think well how ought this be like what how should the world be how should it work you come to very different conclusions and that Again, one, it's useful to think about how the world may end up being, but two, it also helps you appreciate why the world isn't as it as it is. Why, why, like people, people are writing about the cable bundle, one of my favorite hobby horses, and how it's going to break <laughs> up. And again, I I completely agree with all the cord cutters. The current system doesn't make any sense, but change only happens in the context of the world as it is. Like that's an important component of where you're going. And yes, I think eventually we will be in a world that the cord cutters all envision because the the logic of it is is kind of overwhelming. And, and at some point it, it, it becomes – it just – it's overwhelming. But it requires generational change sometimes because you need people coming up, growing up with a world where that, that world as it was never made sense to them. Uh, it, it, and so it's the 20-year-olds and the teens – that will not subscribe to cable as opposed to people who are 50 years old changing the way they've experienced television their entire lives. It's, this is a, um, this is so interesting. It's, this is like the, uh, an in industry take on something we've talked about that's happened inside of companies and how the, the, they, they can bring themselves only to approach things from a clean sheet once they've failed. Uh, industries, obviously, it's a little bit more complicated because there are so many players. There's actually an article that a friend of mine, Max Wessel, wrote about this that is so good. He he read a book. Um, it was on how... Um, it was on how uh, the the con- the shipping container came to be, and you get something like that that emerges. In, I, I haven't read the book, but the basic idea is you get something <laughs> like that that emerges into the world for reasons that make sense at the time, and then all this infrastructure gets built around it, and it becomes impossible to change because you need to change so many different things to get there. Now, obviously, in industry like music, you can start to change some of those elements. But there are other industries that like the extent to which the, the, the understanding how you got there and whether it's possible to move and you have to look at the incentives of all the different players to move them and whether these players are absolutely critical to you going forward. It's so critical to understand as an entrepreneur going into Um, going into an industry because it speaks to whether you're able to move the world closer to the way it ought to be or whether you're just stuck with it as it is. Absolutely. It's not just entrepreneurs and startups. I mean, you see this in all kinds of things like, like you, the U S like U S debate on healthcare. Like we've, this is something that I've really, I think learned and come to appreciate thinking about this subject. Like I'm a big advocate of single payer healthcare, like for example, like I, I, mm-hmm. I think, and the idea that you should be insured no matter what, and not just because for, from like a, a human rights issue, but from an economic perspective, like I think that would make people more willing to take chances to start businesses, to, to mm-hmm. be move around, be right. less locked in, give employers less power, like make it 
like, uh, yeah, just making it more, more easy to move around. But a big problem with the U.S. and one reason why it it, it didn't come about, why, why Hillary Care failed. I mean, it, it, uh, the whole thing about. I mean, people, whatever, let's talk about politics, but mm-hmm. let's remember that Hillary Clinton has done more to push single player than anyone ever. Um, but the reason why it failed and a reason why Obamacare didn't take that model is in part because you're not dealing with a system, you're not building a system from scratch. This isn't the United Kingdom after World War II where they have a parliamentary system and the place in the like the economy's bankrupt it's all done and they just pass a bunch of things and they, they start from ground zero with the national institute of health or whatever it's called national nhs yeah national health service uh sorry to our uk friends like you're you're not starting there you're starting in the year 2000 what year is it 2016 <laughs> and and anything you change that affects the the, the system as it is has to be like that's just a reality. You're dealing with the fact that there is a certain level of expenditure that is goes to hospitals, that goes to doctors, that goes to nurses, that goes to medical device companies. And yes, it may not be efficient, it may not be optimal, but it doesn't change the fact that if you're going to do some sort of radical change, like th- that has to be that has to be addressed, has to be taken care of. There's going to be tons of vested interests protecting that. Mm-hmm. And and the p- political realities of introducing a system that will only like so a single payer like theoretically should save money. That's yeah. the reason to support it. The reality is in the US, when and if we get single payer, and I still support single payer to be queer, but single payer, when and if it comes in, is going to be very expensive. And it's we're not going to save any money because the the only way it is ever going to be enacted and passed is if everyone that is benefiting in the current system mm. Is is at least stays relatively level, right? The doctors aren't going to give back a bunch of money. The, the hospitals aren't going to give back a bunch of money. And I think we're, we're getting pretty quickly here. One of Obamacare's great benefits is the way it's bent the cost curve. But the idea of bending the cost curve is you're limiting future growth. You're not cutting what already exists because that just it's not politically viable. And it's just a very long way to say that y- you have to deal with the world as it is to figure out where you get where you're going. And, and the best way to do is, is to bend those curves to shape the way it it Goes naturally... In the future. Right, exactly. Right. It's like, yeah. it, to like the tree example, it's like those trees that bent, that kind of grow sideways and around houses because they're reaching towards the sunlight. Like, mm. that's how you enact change in complex systems where with tons of vested interests is you have to shape the incentives and the way things grow so that you 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 don't bend a tree by bending the tree. If you bend yeah, the tree, it, it will break. Exactly. Yeah. But if you can imagine a tree, if you put shade all around it except for one direction, the tree will naturally grow in the direction you want to do it. And that's how you enact kind of like large scale change in complex systems. Uh, I, I, that is beautifully articulated. I I know I fear. Um, I know I fear going down a rabbit hole we may have already touched on previously i'm going to valiantly charge ahead anyway the the, the i'm the, bracing myself i'm drinking coffee yeah, just a second the, yeah 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 um the 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 problem i have with the the us political system or one of them and i don't think it's the only one because when we raised this last time you very and i agree with this you you 
pointed out that gerrymandering is a big issue. But the money in politics issue, I have such a conceptual problem with because it weights the system too heavily to what already is as opposed to what ought to be. And again, like I'm not, I'm not one for advocating snapping the tree off that's growing up the side of the house because you're going to cause a whole bunch of uh, dislocation of people whose livelihoods and who've made a whole bunch of decisions in their lives around how they're going to structure things. At the same time, like I, I feel like the extent to which having capital get back into the political process actually prevents you from placing that sunlight in the place where you think it ought to be. It keeps it, it keeps it where it is as opposed to letting you make those systemic changes. That's that's fine, but I, I think I think people over index on it. I mean, take the healthcare thing for you. I mean, yeah, we should probably not go through this, this, this mm. rabbit hole. But like, sorry, just take we'll just take healthcare and and, and mm. like the reason why healthcare, big reason why lots of parts of healthcare won't change is that what's the dominant voting block in the U.S. by a massive amount? The senior citizens, like senior citizens, vote like an 90 percent rate, and and young people don't. The net result is what senior citizens want, which is to generally preserve like Medicare as it is and lots of things as they are, is going to is going to is going to dominate. Here's another example: What is the most one of the most trusted groups in America? Doctors. Guess what? When the American Doctor Association, whatever it's called, stakes out a position on a healthcare issue, it is almost impossible to go against it politically, just because like at the end of the day, politics, like the actual politics of it, matters. And so the American Doctor Association, I, I don't know if that's right, right, what it's called, but they exert influence that goes far beyond any money that they contribute simply because they can shift political voters. Same thing, same thing mm. with like something like the NRA. I mean, the NRA, like there are people who they vote solely based on gun rights and lots of us who are in favor of gun control. Like we also care about lots of other things. Mm. And, and, and so like lots of Bernie Sanders su- supporters, I would bet are favor much stricter gun control than he does, but they still support him because they care about other things in addition to gun control. Right. There's people who care about gun, who care about, gun rights or whatever they call it that that's all they care about and and you have a intensity mismatch mm-hmm. and and so th- i guess this is why i get of course i would less money in politics would would be better but i think i just push back against over indexing on that to use one of my favorite words that that is all that matters that's oh, all absolutely. that has the effect if, if that makes sense totally i i think it makes it, it has more of an impact on the non-headline issues it's the things that are going to get it's issues five through 100 as opposed to the top five well and it's just like a layer that goes like the reality is that the way things are always has a dominant advantage and and, mm-hmm. and whether it be like we, my my hobby horse example like payments right like it's really hard to enact wide scale change of many disparate actors right you you have a you have a mm-hmm. what's the word um a, a coordination problem like even if it might be in the benefit of it'd be in the benefit of merchants everywhere that apple if apple pay or, or samsung android pay or whatever it might be were widely adopted there'd be less fraud be better experience for consumers they'd move they move through lines faster the problem is you have a coordination problem in that how do you get millions of merchants to upgrade all at the same time and that one that's hard Two, it's extra hard if you totally drop the ball and do and and miss your big opportunity to change like Apple did, which mm. which is another thing entirely. But it doesn't change the fact it's really hard just because this the the the, the status quo is easy. And the I, the other thing about the tree breaking thing, this is why 
companies only change when they almost die. Like mm. Apple had to almost die to change. Like, yep. and you see, and the the reality is, most companies do die. But the reason why the, these near death experiences transform companies is because it's like it's like you are breaking the tree, but somehow the tree like survives, and now it's in the right direction. But the process of changing direction is as wrenching as it could possibly be. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's it's interesting. There's a, I'm referencing lots of outside stuff. This podcast. There was an article in the Economist on how there's record levels of profit inside the United States, and how at a headline level it looks like it's a it's a good thing, but actually, as you dig deeper into it, it might suggest that things are going wrong. Um, that there's a lack of competition. That it's becoming uh, it's becoming harder in general for startups to get uh, traction in the market, or when they do, they end up getting bought by incumbents. Um, and again, I I read that, and again, I don't want to over-index on it, like you said, because I think the point that you make is the, the points that you're making are completely valid. And I also think that it's always the case that the 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 way things are has an advantage over the way things ought to be, because the way things are, there are all those people with the vested interests and all the resources they control. But one of the things that's concerning for me. For the uh, from an American economic perspective, is that it's it's one of the things that I think this country has managed to foster has been uh, particularly when it comes to business an increased willingness to shift towards the way things ought to be as opposed to a defense of the way things are. And what I worry is that that's starting to change. I, I think that the f- fair enough. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole. Okay. Um, the uh, to go back to to the article that kind of mm. that kind of kicked this off. Mm-hmm. We can see this world where this frictionless world, this internet enabled world, where there this world of of no transaction costs, where where it, it makes sense that things be on demand, that, that there be that there be service, and and again, don't 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 trigger or don't. Uh, get stuck on the ideas that have been out there like DoorDash or, or, or inst- the grocery stuff or whatever, like just because no one, if you had done that 10 years ago, you wouldn't have thought about Uber or, 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 or Airbnb, but just this idea that what sort of stuff do we currently do on a transaction basis that might make more sense on a, on a service basis on, on, on a, on, whether it be a rental basis or whether it be a subscription basis, whether it be a, you know, whether it be, you know, I mean, and you see it, and some of it is still transaction based. Like Amazon Prime, for example, is it's a is it a service? Is it a transaction? Like it, it, what it is is it's removing the friction of buying stuff and just makes it easy to to do stuff. And now they have like those buttons, right? You can have like a button, hmm. you press it, and you get paper towels. Like, th- is that a transaction business or is that a service business? It's it it's arguably, I think, more of a more of a it's almost more of a services business if if, if that makes sense in in the removal of friction and kind of the mm. ongoing like that button is always there right and the, that omnipresent sort of thing and it's re, a recurring activity and i if you think about this like i drew this sharp distinction between transactions and services but that's an example of there being almost more of a a, a hybrid blurring. Yeah, right blurring and yeah. you, you think about something and another thing i'm thinking about is, is advertising and <laughs> everyone just groaned because ben loves advertising but you know, we've talked about this this sharp distinction between like brand advertising, 
generating demand and and direct marketing where you're you're satisfying demand like mm-hmm. someone's self-directed into what they want and, and it satisfies them what is so potentially really alluring and powerful about a platform like Facebook for example is the is the chance to to be a hybrid model to both generate demand and to satisfy. to satisfy it and whether that be in one ad or whether it be like they talk about examples like where you see an ad on Instagram and then uh, and then if you pause on it more than like five seconds like they can do follow up stuff on Facebook and crap like that like across mm-hmm. their platforms it, and you it, like and they can deliver the entire funnel to to an advertiser like the, and this is a mistake that arguably or something that I need to be more cognizant of in my writing is not getting too locked onto the world as it is defined by a transaction physical product world with friction, but in a future world where, where, where there isn't friction. And again, I, I think this, I, I think when it comes to advertising, I still think the idea of brand advertising of generating demand will always be, will always be important. And, and people think, Oh, people are gonna start having perfect information. Just make like logical decisions all the time. <laughs> I, I don't think that's going to mm-hmm. be the case, but at the same time, like that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to always be this sharp this sharp distinction and and everyone's waiting for brand advertising to shift from TV to mobile but in the long run it's probably going to look less like brand advertising as it is shifting and more like the idea of standalone brand advertising completely disconnected from the purchase and trying to track it through surveys or, or however you know like what Nielsen does is is just going to fade it's not going to shift it's going to fade in the rise of a new hybrid sort of thing. And to take Facebook, I mean, something that really struck me on, on, on the call was this idea of, you know, they have all these small medium business on there. And something I've talked about that a lot. Like I, you'd see it even more in Taiwan than in the U.S. Like the mm-hmm. idea of having a web page here is, is ridiculous. Everyone has a, like, why would you not have a Facebook page, particularly on mobile? It's just so much more easier in access and it's where people are and, it, and you can just post your name on, uh, mm-hmm. to search for on Facebook. But like, a small restaurant wasn't going to run a TV ad. Maybe like they get big enough to do like a newspaper ad or something, but generally restaurants succeed through like word of mouth, for example. Now, if you can actually, maybe a restaurant's a bad example, but if you can actually no, prove not. to a small yeah. company that, because the problem with small companies, like they can't afford to take the risk of like advertising and it not working because like the hard thing with advertising, it's the, 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 Measuring has always been hard, but if you can actually truly measure it and you can know that what you're doing, it does have a payback, suddenly you're expanding the market of potential advertisers. This, and- is, this, this is such a perfect example of the, uh, of the friction being reduced and bringing more people in. It's, this is like the, the business side, of, uh, uh, kind of like the business side of what we were talking about, about how where it, these are like you only think about it on airplanes and now it comes down to Uber. And this is as, as the friction gets reduced and as this becomes more accessible to smaller and smaller players and you give access to them digital tools that scale just as well for the biggest corporations as they do for small ones, it brings more and more people into the fold. Right. And it's, it's like, it's disruptive because you're bringing in 
the a underserved market with yeah. what is arguably a lower end thing, but it's also disruptive in the long run. Like once Facebook really perfects this model, like why would you want to advertise anywhere else? And it's going to yeah. eat into the the, the the high end sort of thing. And it also raises the potential. Like uh, one thing I've I've talked about is you know the idea of, of US GDP is all your know, advertising has always been about one to one point four percent of US GDP, and it's been that for a hundred years. Like. If Facebook can actually demonstrate the value of advertising to a completely new universe of businesses that had never really spent money in advertising, like why is that necessarily going to be be limited? And again, uh, not to over-index on advertising. I use over-index twice, sorry. Uh, but that's just one example. It just has to be a tangible example that that's happening now of the changes that are possible in, in, in this world. And again- this is- I used the wrong example. Even the airplanes Uber thing, it's more analogous to what AWS has done to servers, where it used to be you have to be this huge corporation that could afford to put in a server room and install and maintain the servers in order to gain access to this. AWS has made it available to everybody. And basically, the argument you're making is a similar shift is starting to come on the advertising side and Facebook's bringing it down and making it more accessible. Right. And 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 the broader point is this is going to happen to everything. Everything. And yeah. and I I I feel like it's one of those things and and I'm guilty of this too where everyone intellectually knows this and and like I guess that was my, what I was trying to express in my yeah. frustration with the article is people intellectually get what I'm saying but like how they don't do they, get they don't understand the or the extent of what it's going to happen. It seems self-evident, but you need to say it in such a way that people internalize the scale of what's about to happen. And, and frankly, I think most most people won't because you you're you live the world as you know it, and to and this is like a lot of this stuff is going to be generational. It's going to be people, you know, like it. TV is not as as it is the cable bundle doesn't make sense to is not going to make sense to my kids who who grow up in a world of, of Netflix and HBO like and, and but John McCain will be happy about that well sure but because well that's it's a great example like it makes it doesn't make any from a user experience and the way things ought to be and what is possible like it's super obvious where we ought to go but you you have to <laughs> You have to deal with – you have to break the tree, and sometimes you just break the tree by the tree dying. I'm not to be all morbid about it. But like <laughs> – but w- w- the, far, the farther down we get – the farther down we get we get down this road and the the closer that day comes. And it's going to be profound. Like the, the in 100 years, the U.S. economy in the way is going to look so – is going to look so unbelievably different, I believe, from the way – it looks today and and that change is going to happen you know the, that's why i picked that they use that bill gates quote like you underestimate the change in two years or you overestimate the change in two years mm-hmm. or underestimate in 10 years i would probably extend it out more like you 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 overestimate even f- five years but when you, once you get to 20 or, or 25 because that's where you get the generational shift happening mm-hmm. like it's just going to be completely different and again people like I, people intellectually get this but but how many well, there's there's still even pushback. And I speak of myself, that, I'll say. Yeah, there's even pushback still, though. Who's the um? Who is the historian based out of Boston that recently? We've, North, Northwestern. We mentioned yeah. North. Oh, was it? I was it. I didn't realize it was Chicago. I thought it was Northeastern. 
Uh, I th- I'm pretty sure it was Northwestern, but regardless. Uh, but he, he wrote the book about how the shifts that took place to the Industrial Revolution are never going to be matched by the information economy. And I, I don't know. I, I'm more with you on this. I think it's going to be massive. I just think that the old way of measuring things, uh, like it's it's like you said, it's not set up to even capture the extent of the scale of what's happening and much less what's about to happen. The other thing that makes it hard to see these changes happening is that the new stuff helps the old business model first. And that that is the very fine point I was trying to make with the iPhone, and maybe I didn't make it explicitly enough in this article, is that the reason why the iPhone was the best product of all time was because it was hardware that was theoretically commoditizable, but it was differentiated by software, which is infinitely malleable and can be made distinct. The problem with software is the business model stinks because it's infinitely reproducible. And so you marry the scarcity of a physical product Mm. with the unbelievable differentiation potential of software and you get the best business ever. But within the seeds of the iPhone are the end of products because in the long run, software is not meant to be sold as a product. It's meant to be a service. It's meant to be a thin sort of model. You have Tim Cook going on on an earnings call about how LTE this, LTE that, and how that's supposed to drive the iPhone growth. In the long run, increased connectivity is the death of the iPhone because increased connectivity leads to thinner and thinner clients that are not these jewel-like objects that we interact with. They're the omnipresent cloud and the omnipresent ability to interact with with with, with things. And, and you see that like media. Media exploded when the internet came along but within the explosion of influence and impact and, and like, oh, we're making more money on the web. Awesome. Let's add it on to our riches from printing presses. Within the seeds of their, 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 their pinnacle was their demise. Mm. And you're, I think you're going to see this. Uh, you we see with cars. Like cars today are as good as they'll ever be. And in part, they're good because they have computers on them. They have computers that regulate all these sorts of things. And cars are more reliable and, and they're more efficient and all these sorts of things than they've ever been. But within the seeds of what makes them more reliable, what makes them better, what makes them the best possible things they've ever been are their demise. Yeah. I, 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 the, <laughs> there's there's I, the 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 idea that the seed of the demise is is sown as they get better is definitely one that I think is an interesting insight. It, it's, it's not just that they're sown as they get better. It's that, that there is a there is a leap there is a leap in like the iPhone. It's difficult to overstate what what a unbelievable product the iPhone is from a business perspective. Like mm-hmm. the iPhone is heads and tails above almost anything else that has come before it, but it, because it leveraged what came next, but it leveraged what came next in the old, in the, in the old, in the old yes. model. And, and it's, I think there's a, when revolutions happen, like the technology comes first because that's a, it's a necessary prerequisite. The technology comes first, like the web comes first, the, the internet comes mm-hmm. first, phones comes, whatever it might be comes first. Then sort of comes attention, like attention comes later and then comes sort of ancillary revenue which is you know whether that be you know the advertising kind of comes along later or or ways to pay for it come along later but at the at at the end of it is is the like the 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 death of what came before is like the last thing to happen like there there's this intervening period when when there's these massive shifts where everyone is happy 
and then and then and then and then we're off and then what's but the a line is crossed and then all the old old stuff just dies because it doesn't make sense anymore right the 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 idea that it's the best at the point at which it dies i i i almost think on some level though is self-evident though don't you it's it's almost like well that yeah the phrase that people say i you know you the thing that you're looking for is always in the last place that that you look like you found it in the last place you look it's almost like that because once you've found that thing, you're going to stop looking. It's 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 almost the same with all these devices. Like the 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 peak of it happens, and then the next thing starts to come along, and people's attention starts to shift there, and that's where the effort and the focus gets put in developing something else, as opposed to developing the last. Right. Thing. Yeah. I mean, I I started with this Benedict Edwards article, "The Best Is the Last," and it, I I it was it was fine. Like this type of like you know. Changing from piston-powered jets to like, to, or piston-powered planes to 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 jet planes, or sailing ships to to steamships. I, I think what what I think was uh, where I was trying to take it kind of a step beyond that is that it was it's aspects of the next thing that make the last thing great, and, and I guess that that that's the step beyond I, I was trying to take here. Like the iPhone is. From a bit like the from a business model perspective, the iPhone is of the old world. But the reason why it's so powerful is because it's it, like it's very much an object of the new world. It, it, it's this it's this hybrid. It's this it's this mix between the two that makes it incredibly valuable. But that doesn't change the fact the old world is 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 in the long run going away. And no, the iPhone's not doomed. We're gonna have the iPhone for a long time. It's doing fine. Growth may be in question. There's been lots of chatter about that. And I, I'm kind of pessimistic about growth. But the phone's not going away, just to be super duper clear. But it's it's a peak idea, right? Like the right. the world yeah. of physical objects that make hundreds of billions of dollars a year uh is I think will be fading. Bear Apple is coming to be. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, that's not a new thing either. I mean, we've been talking about like, have you seen watched the movie Her yet? You already know the answer to that. <laughs> but no, but like the a world of no physical devices is the is the biggest bear case of Apple. There's a there's a short term bear case, which is the iPhone stops growing, uh, and that's again always been a reasonable bear case. The very long term bear case is that we don't need a physical option anymore. The middle bear case where another physical object replaces Apple has always been dumb. Like the, the Android is not replacing the iPhone like that. That, and that was always the one that was stupid and rightly refuted. But the other ones that are reasonable and, and they've always only been a matter of time. Like the, the thing with physical objects is there is a addressable market limit to it, right? There's only so many people that will have a phone. Like by definition, the limit of a phone is like 7 billion because that's how many people are on earth. And, and you get once you start restraining by income and and level, and if they already have a phone, like there's nat there's a natural limit up for physical yeah. devices, uh, and and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It that's just the way the world works. I, I, I guess what's interesting uh, about this point though is that we've switched from like this is something that's uh, over the horizon to like oh I, I I wonder if we just started to hit the first sign that we're here. Yeah, the beginning of the end, right? That and that's exactly what I, that's why I would use the iPhone in the article. Was not was just like it feels like we're at a tipping point, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like something something about that last earnings week, and I, you hate to over trigger on, on like a have a recency bias, but something mm-hmm. about that last week where where all these companies are struggling, except for Facebook and Amazon, are blowing it out of the water, and they're and they're so those two companies in particular are so representative of the future and the way the I sus, I think the economy will work in the future, and this this highly distributed, uh, you know, service sort of thing with that dramatically lowers barriers of entry. Like though that's what those two companies do. And the fact that they crushed it while all these companies that came up in the old world are struggled, it just felt it felt like that was like we we've crested the mountain. And mm-hmm. yes, there's a very long path to the other side, and there'll be lots of money made along the way and 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 maybe that won't even grow again. But it feels like we we we've crossed we've crossed the Rubicon. Yeah. All right. Uh, as usual, we went long, but uh, good talking to you. I, I'm glad I was able to get that out because this was a hard article to write, and I, it, it's like, how do you say that this thing that everyone's talking about? Uh, yeah, I guess I already already articulated it. But yeah, I, you have to come in on a different way that grabs people, like that that reframes the way they think about it. And I, again, I think you, it it might have been hard to write, but I think you did a good job of doing it. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, anyhow, uh, speaking of writing, off uh, to do some of my own. It is. Uh, so I will. I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, mate. Uh, See ya. Yeah, bye bye.